I think the key is just being really honest with yourself. Know intrinsically what you're good at, what you love to do, where you feel honestly you can stretch and learn and build those skill sets, but don't try to be something you're not. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My special guest today is Rob Bowerman. Rob has been an executive recruiter since 1994. He launched his firm, The Bowerman Group, in 2009. TBG serves the retail industry, particularly specialty and luxury brands, and he's developed long-standing relationships with many respected American and European companies in designer apparel, accessory jewelry, and home furnishing. Rob currently serves as the president of the Pinnacle Society, which is the premier consortium of industry-leading recruiters in North America. Rob, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you, and thanks for that very kind intro. My pleasure. Well, uh, you come highly recommended from a couple of sources, actually, and uh, be- that's because I've interviewed a few Pinnacle Society members recently, mm-hmm. namely Rich Rosen, Sharon Hulse. This is such a high-quality group of people. I've been really, really impressed, not just with how these men and women are performing on such a high level, but also their willingness to share their experiences and help others. Um, why don't we start here? You're the president of the Pinnacle Society. Could you explain briefly what it's all about, how you got involved and so on? Sure, happy to. So, um, yeah, as you mentioned, it is the premier consortium. We we say premier consortium of industry leading recruiters in North America. Although we did recently uh, enroll somebody from Australia, so I guess we should update our tagline. Um, it's extremely limited. We we limit the group to eighty members. Um, it's a highly vetted process. You have to hit a certain amount of billings um, averaged out over a five-year period. And you're vetted not just for billings, but essentially you're standing in the industry. Um, Your willingness to share, um, your willingness to be part of a very participative um, society. So Pinnacle actually started a little over 30 years ago. If anybody remembers Tony Byrne back in the day, one of the, yeah, so he actually started it. And I was not around in the group at that time, but those who were the founding members said it actually came about by Tony traveling around the country, doing his thing, giving his speeches. And when people would put their hand up that they were high billers over, I think at the time, probably 300, 400,000, he would give them a card and say, I'm starting this group. And it all kind of came together from that. Um, I think they had a UK group for a while. I'm not sure that one lasted, but it's been going really strong um, for over the last 30 years. I became involved in it actually the same year I started my business, 2009. I'd heard about Pinnacle. And, you know, like so many people, if you're in small, medium firm, you're the top biller in the firm and you, you, you're craving other people to learn from. You want to be around people better than you and you want other expertise. And so it's kind of finding your tribe, basically. So I worked really hard to get into the group, met all the criteria and became super involved. And it's, it, it makes a huge difference in my life. I mean, everybody has to find those people that train them, those thought leaders that you want to be around. And what's awesome about Pinnacle is the sharing, the wealth of information. Any of us can pick up the phone, call the others. Um, and it's just a great community. And particularly recently, we've really helped prop each other up through a challenging time. Yeah, no kidding. Well, that sounds amazing. I didn't, I'd heard of Pinnacle Society, but I didn't really know what it was all about. 
Um, but they say that like your your network is uh, your net worth, right? So the people you surround yourself with, the quality of thinking, the the you know the quality of people that you are you know surrounding yourself with is going to have a, a knock on impact on on you and vice versa, right? So that's powerful. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't realize Tony Burnett started it. He's he was really popular over here in the UK. In fact, he moved, he came and lived here um, at one point, and sort of in the the, the late nineties, early two thousands, he was like huge. Uh, one of our kind of recruitment gurus, James Kahn, invited him over, mm-hmm. and they went into business together. And so I actually did get trained by Tony. Um, it probably would have been two two thousand or something like that, and he had a, a video training uh, series and then we went to see him live and uh, sure. yeah that's amazing i'm pretty sure any recruiter that started in the 90s watched at the time videos yeah. right remember vhs <laughs> you watched the 30 steps right and yeah and and actually at pinnacle um a couple of meetings ago danny cahill held a session and we went back and reviewed what's different in the 30 steps and truth be told like the technology has changed, all of those things, but the actual process, it's a pure process. It's kind of remained the same yeah, absolutely. for all that time. So he was a visionary. Was, absolutely. Well, that's cool. So what do you guys do as a group? Like what, what does it actually involve to be part of the group? So, so Pinnacle, um, we meet actually twice a year. Uh, we have two conferences a year, um, three days of really intense um, seminars, learning, learning sessions, both um, inside presentations because we have super talented members. We all like to learn from each other. And then we always bring in um, outside speakers as well. Um, Danny Cahill is super involved in our group. He's part of the education committee, so he'll typically present and he has a heavy hand in helping us out with our content. And then it's just a lot of camaraderie and just chatting with people and peers around the bar, around the conference table. That's a little different now. Um, actually, we were supposed to have a, com- a conference in April. We, uh, three years ago, thought scheduling a conference in Seattle would be a great idea for spring 2020, not knowing that that's where COVID was going to essentially launch in the States. <laughs> so we ended up pivoting to an online conference, doing a Zoom, uh, we call it a virtual learning series. So we had the same speakers, had great interaction. And we're hoping, knock on wood, that we'll get together in October. Great. We'll see what the world right. looks like. Fingers crossed that we'll be able yeah. to see each yeah. other by then. Um, I hope Well, so. that's awesome because, you know, part of the reason I launched this podcast was that of that same desire to learn from the best people in our industry and, you know, give myself that opportunity. But then I thought, well, why don't I just record these conversations and then share them with, with others so that more people can benefit. So that's essentially the... The idea yeah. behind it. So that's cool. So tell me about the Bowerman Group. You know what you what you guys specialize in, and 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 like what are your tenets or philosophies? Okay, thanks. Um, I mean, you gave a great introduction in terms of our niche. I mean, we are niched in specialty and luxury brands, so we're we're well, what I like to call narrow and deep. We're very focused on those consumer brands. You know, think of it as those top brands you would see at Harrods or um, Saks or Neiman's or on Rodeo Drive and so on. Um, and then within that, the deep portion is that we um, have kind of a broad range of positions. So I will actually work from manager level up to C-suite for those companies, which is a little bit different than how many recruiters work, but we found that works really well for us. So very often we might get to know a company at grassroots doing store manager. 
searches. Like you get to know boots on the ground, what the culture is, what they're all about. And then as they get comfortable with our process, which is candidly much more detailed and much more involved and much more um, client centric than sort of the typical retail transactional recruiter, then we build that credibility with the client and elevate it to the higher level roles. So that's kind of how we've grown and developed over the years. And then as you, you mentioned, it's retail focus, but we actually do what I call the three, um, you know, the three pillars of direct to consumer, which is retail, wholesale, and e-com. You can imagine e-com is becoming progressively bigger and bigger. Absolutely. So is it cross-functional then, uh, Rob? Like, or is there a particular area within your clients' uh, companies that you, you focus yeah. So like I said, within within those buckets of retail, um, wholesale e-com, we'll typically be doing the leaders within that. So on the wholesale side, that, those would be heads of sales, regional, that sort of thing. Um, on the retail side, single unit through multi-unit, heads of retail, e-com. Um, and what we've also kind of naturally transitioned into is marketing, um, traditional marketing and digital marketing, because that's always woven within that. Totally. Yeah. You're... Yeah. I mean, you're in one of those sectors that must be badly affected at the moment. Um, what what are you seeing? To say the least. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> what are you seeing in the market and how are you dealing with that? Okay. So, well, I mean, there's there's a bit of a tail there. I mean, where I, I was actually just talking to my team this morning and, you know, we're essentially three months from when all yeah. this happened. And, you know, we've all been through recessions. We've been through downturns. Never anything as abrupt that one morning you wake up and our active job list went from 28 to three in about a two day period. (laughs) So, I mean, it was drastic retail doors closed, all of that. So you have to take a deep breath. Um, We, we decided to really be smart about this. We could predict that it was going to be a couple of months. So we said, we have this time, what are we going to do with it? And we decided to do a couple of really key pivots that, I feel strongly are paying off for us. They already are. One is that we really focused on training, sharpening our tools. We set aside extra time during the week. You know, I kept my team intact. We're tight, there's six of us. So we said, we're going to double down on this. We've always had lunch and learns on Fridays, but added time, added content. So there's great video content out there from, you know, there's podcasts from folks like you, there's videos from Danny, we subscribe to NLE. So we've really spent a lot of time doing that. And then naturally it's business development. Business development looks a little bit different, but we're saying, what are all those things? What are all those contacts you wanted to spend more time doing, but we've been so busy. So you're like nose down, nose to the grindstone, you do your business development, but it's never that intense. So we said, this is how we're going to define success. You throw all the other KPIs out the window because it's not so much in the beginning of this whole mess about send outs and um, you know, submissions and all of that. It's about connects. Yes. So we said, we're defining our success in terms of live connects and follow-ups. Those are the metrics that we're tracking. And then just broadening outreach um, in every way possible. So in the beginning, it was a lot of just, how are you doing? You know, checking in, you know, are you safe? Are you healthy? Um, For our retail friends, you know, were you furloughed? How are you handling it? How can we help you? Um, So just building those really strong connections. We made a point of connecting to every single person we placed in the last five years, one-on-one talking to them. 
um, kind of reconnecting in those ways. And it's paid off. So it's starting to ramp up. We've been getting a couple new projects every week for like the last three mm-hmm. weeks. We've found it interesting where some of the activity has come from. And I think it speaks to companies looking at what they have and saying, okay, we're going to pivot. Maybe we really need to strengthen our e-com presence, strengthen our team there. Um, we're going to keep retail open, but we need to do something differently there. So we're finding... Um, Already, the progressive companies are being very proactive in that regard. Conversely, I do absolutely predict that as things open up more and more, we're going to be super busy because there's going to be so much disruption. Definitely. I mean, it seems like e-com is still, apart from the fact you know, that it's difficult for them to get their product out and they have to, you know, make different arrangements, but demand seems to have exploded for people buying stuff online. Has, has that been a sort of totally. uh, counteract the, the the downside for you guys? Um, not, I mean, for us, not okay. yet. I think it probably will. I mean, it's been a down quarter. There's no way to look around that, that but that's why we've been doing what I just told you about. But from an, if you think of my clients, they tend to be monobrand clients, which are, um, you know, single designer brands, they have their stores, they have their presence in Neiman's and Harrods and so on. And um, they might have e-com for many of those e-com might just be one store. You know, it might be the equivalent of that. You made a transition from being a top recruiter uh, to running your own firm, your own company. Can you tell me the origin story of TBG, you know, what uh, motivated that and how did it go in the early days? Sure, sure. So I was at a smaller firm um, that was retail focused in the Boston area. I stayed there a long time. I started recruiting in 94 and was there until 2009. So it's one of those things, like so many top producers, it works well until it doesn't. Mm -hmm. Like I'm happy, I'm making the money I want, I'm comfortable. I convinced myself that I, you know, I wanted to just run a desk. I didn't want to manage. I didn't want to deal with the business side of things. So that kept me happy, satisfied for a while. But, you know, like so many, I think sometimes you hit that tipping point and you start creating a vision of what you would want your business to be. And I, I started crafting this idea in my mind that I'd, I'd develop this luxury business. Um, and it was really interesting how that came about. But nonetheless, I built this desk. It was very viable. I had somebody within that group that was working super closely with me um, as sort of my lead recruiter researcher. And I realized we could take this and do more with it. It was not going to happen in the company that I was with. They were more generalist focused. And, you know, and again, at some point, you want to do your own thing. You know, if you have that entrepreneurial spark, it's going to come out at some point. I probably my biggest fear was the management piece um, I'd managed in a past life. Didn't necessarily love it. I convinced myself that I was better as a sole desk guy, but in order to make it work, I had to get over that. Basically, totally, yeah. Well, so so that was probably the learning curve. Yeah, absolutely, we've all got. I mean, we're always learning, growing, maturing, developing new skills, uh, not staying stagnant. You have to grow and push yourself, right? So that sounds. That sounds awesome. What was the hardest thing about starting your own firm? Well, it was probably the timing because, as you noted before, I started it in 2009, oh, which right. was pretty deep into that yeah. recession. Um, but, you know, looking back on it, my, my philosophy was really, well, 
nowhere to go but up, right? <laughs> so, so I had a decent business. I knew clients would come with me. Um, I started it very lean and mean. Um, and actually, at that time when I started the firm, I started it virtual. I brought one person with me. We dealt with the non-compete, started up the firm. I hired one part-time admin. We just drilled in, went at it organically added a person, then another person. Um, I did the virtual thing merely because I had been commuting an hour to an office from my home. The person I was working with was an hour in the other direction. I said, let's just try this working at home thing, see how it'll work. You realize it actually works beautifully. Technology supported it even back then. So my epiphany was, as I'm building my team, why focus on people that are commutable to an office? Let me find the people that are best. So we've still stayed sort of Northeast U.S. focused, but um, you know, as with my team of six, um, four of us are in Mass. One is in New York, and one is in New Jersey. Cool. And so the whole work at home thing is is not new to us. We've been doing virtual teams since 2009. Awesome. You're well well prepared for it in that case. Yeah. Um, and you, what are your plans? I mean, once we get through this um, moment that we're in right now, what are your plans for further expansion then, Rob? Um, I'm probably going to keep it fairly okay. tight. I, I think part of being successful is is being really honest with yourself and knowing what you're good at. And you know, you learn this through the people you speak to, that probably everybody has a different model. Yeah. We see this in Pinnacle. There's 80 people in 80 different models. So you have to be kind of true to yourself. I like the smaller team, not to say I can't add a person or two. You know, we could flex up to 10. That could absolutely work well. I'm not trying to build a giant firm and scale it or have multiple offices. I like being involved. I like working a desk. I like working with the clients while still, you know, supporting the team. So... Honestly, we have a formula that has worked pretty well, continues to work well. You know, COVID happened and shut the world down, but that wasn't due to a systemic issue <laughs> with what we were doing or candidly what many of our clients were doing. So you just have to reboot and do it better. That makes sense. So let's talk about managing a team then, which requires a different skill set from running a desk. And not many mm -hmm. people can do both at the same time. I have to say, the, like the job you're doing, I regard as the hardest job in recruiting, which is you're running a desk and running a team. Um, you know, what what has been the biggest challenge for for you in terms of growing growing a firm? Sure. And and honestly, I think I ask myself that every day <laughs> because you never quite feel like you have it right. And there is beauty to running a virtual team. There's also challenges because in an office situation, you have that, you know, you're on the phone, people are hearing what you're saying, you're picking up key phrases, you don't have that sort of interaction. True. So we have to work hard to stay connected in other ways. So we, we leverage technology for that. Um, I happen to use Ring Central, which has a chat feature. So whether you do that, whether you do Skype, you know, whether you do um, Slack, but we stay super closely connected. So every morning we have a group meeting. Everybody goes through their priorities of the day, what projects they're working on. We're very synergistic in terms of how we work. So most projects are, have some team component that two, maybe three people are working on it from the research to the client side. And then okay. my job is to just stay super connected with everyone, make sure they have the support that they need, make sure our admin support is, is allocated properly, and then be available to talk to the team. Um, but candidly, they're pretty, they're pretty self-sufficient. We have high performers. So 
I know I can always do a better job of managing. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Can you elaborate, Rob, a little bit on how you manage the team remotely? And I mean, you mentioned you are uh, in touch daily and you use uh, the chat feature on on Ring Central. But could you give us a few more details mm-hmm. about what that looks like on a day to day basis? Um, well, as I said, it's it's daily setting out what are your goals yeah. for the day, and on Monday, what are your goals for the week, right. and holding people accountable for okay. that. Okay. So I, I think that's honestly that morning time together is the most important function. Like everyone's sharing, this is what I'm doing. This is my focus. This is where I need support. This is a new project. So let's talk that through. How's it going to work? And then we just stay very tightly connected as a team. You know, I work together with, with each individual in terms of what their KPI goals are, as well as their financial goals. And I stay involved and support them where I can. Some need a little bit more help on the business development side. Some may need more help on the procedural yes. side. So it's, it's identifying that. And I, I think that's why a small team works well. You know, we're all, we, we, we actually only physically see each other in good times, three, four times a okay. year, but we feel like we see each other every day. Right. We, we say that all okay. the time. Okay, well, that's funny. Tell me, so you do the daily check-in in the morning and then... You are in touch with each team member throughout the day, throughout the week. Uh, and you mentioned holding people accountable for those goals, the financial and the, and the key performance indicators. How do you physically do that? Is it like a, a weekly review or what's the format? I, I'd like to say I'm so super um, organized that I do it every week. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> so we, we do it as we need to and, and basically as we see things going. And it's, you know, and it's, it's also just sort of monitoring that the activity on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, if you can see that somebody is, you know, they're a little too recruitment focused versus business development focused, then we have to have the conversation about what is your plan and how are you balancing your desk? And that's a one-on-one sort of thing. So is each person running a full desk then? Um, I have three other people running a full desk. And then the person, my longest term employee who came with me, she actually just focuses on candidate development. Okay. Uh, that's, that's her thing. She loves doing it. She's amazing at it. So she supports basically everybody else in one way or yeah. the other. And then the sixth person is um, production manager, does social media, all the admin support. Oh, brilliant. Okay, that's cool. 
How do yeah. you create, uh, it, you mentioned that sometimes you have multiple people working on the same roles. Um, so there's sort of some internal competition. How do you, how do you manage that? Actually, there is oh, okay. our team, our team runs very, very well together. And, um, so most projects are shared. Um, I'd say our typical breakdown, let's, let's take a project I'm working with and I'm the client lead on, um, somebody else would do the initial, um, developing the roll-up list and the candidate development and pre-screening, and then pass that person along to me. So that allows a higher level of productivity. We've also found that has become a very important part of our process, which we actually sell to our clients, Mm. is that there's quite a few steps our candidates go through from start to finish. You know, between initial engagement, be it a cold call or a, or a warm call, to the screening, generating interest, providing resume, we send them our expectations. There's the first level screening and typically a second level screening with the person who's presenting to the client. So we're holding that candidate accountable for perhaps doing some homework in between, doing some brand research, shopping the store when those exotic things could be done. Um, and that's actually turned into what's almost our patented process. So essentially, there's a point that the sourcing recruiter will be handing that off to the person. And then all the interview prep, everything is handled by the client side. Awesome. I like it. Actually, yeah. you said it's sort of yeah. your patented process. I think you might you should consider registering it as a as an actual trademark you know, and, and, and then when you sell it to the, one of the, some of the work I do with my clients is on differentiation and creating a value proposition. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you've got one there and it's worth like actually inventing a name for it, you know, the, Not the a bad idea. you know, method or whatever you call it. And then yeah. have a little R, um, you know, that's what the like big, that. uh, Hydrix and, you know, Spencer Stewart and these guys do is, uh, they sure. sell their methodology. You, no reason you couldn't do that because it sounds like you've got a really yep. good one. Um, so what are some of the other challenges of some, like if someone came to you, Rob, and they're at, they're thinking about, they're at that crossroads. Do I stay as a solo practitioner or do I want to build a team? Um, how, what advice would you give them for making that decision? Because it's, you know, it's a very different uh, road to travel. Totally, totally. Um, as I said before, I think the key is just being really honest with yourself. Like, know, know intrinsically what you're good at, what you love to do, um, where you feel honestly you can stretch and learn and build those skill sets, but don't try to be something you're not. You know, and, and, you know, and, and as I said, you, like you talked to Rich Rosen the yes. other day. He's amazingly successful. He builds 800000 to a million every year by himself, no admin support. It works awesome for him. I like the small team. We have other friends in in Pinnacle and elsewhere. You've talked to them that they feel they're more excited about building and developing multiple, multiple desks, multiple practices and being that leader versus being hands-on and running the desks. That's right for them. So I think that's kind of the first step. And then once you identify, here's the direction I think I want to go, find others that have done it before you, that have done it well, and talk to them. What worked well? What didn't? What did you learn? What would you do differently? And I like it. do it. Yeah, that's a great... <laughs> and at some point, you just have to do it. Yeah, jump in. I like that uh, process of modeling. I, I learned that from Tony Robbins when I was 17, is find people who are already successful doing what you want to do 
and learn what it what are the strategies, what are the distinctions, what are the behaviors, the mindset, you know, and and you know try and replicate that as best you can in your own in your own way. Um, Absolutely. The 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 big so let's assume they decide to embrace to go the road that you have and to build a team. Um, as far as I can see from all the many clients I've worked with, the the biggest constraint there is time. And mm-hmm. you're now really doing two different jobs because you're, well, three really. So you've got running the company, you've got to do your marketing, your website, your tax returns, all that stuff. Then you're running your desk, which is could be a full-time job itself, right? Dealing with clients, candidates, mm-hmm. closing deals. And then you're also a manager. And so you've got training, you know, you've got coaching, you've got, um, you know, the, uh, the process management, all that stuff you mentioned. How do you juggle mm-hmm. all those uh, responsibilities? Well, the first thing, if you look at those three buckets, figure out first and foremost what you can outsource. Yes. No. So, so you talk about those business aspects and I mentioned I have an admin that deals with a lot of those things. He does a lot of the setting up interviews and so right. on. Take those things off your, off your place. Yes. Um, that you can, you know, the find your great accountant, find your great payroll service, you know, all of those things that if, if you if you do the simple math and I this was a Jordan Rayboy truism from years ago. I don't know if you know, Jordan, I don't but, know him, but I know figure him. out. Yeah. Yeah. I got a great reputation. So, you know, it, and it's super simple. It's look at your annual earnings, what you want it to be divided out. What's your hourly rate? And say that comes out to be $400, then anything that's not worth $400 an hour, somebody else should right. be doing it. Yes. So first do that. Yes. Um, so new, you know, employee onboarding and training, there's amazing trainers out there. So we've, we've used NLE, yes. um, Next Level, Next Level Exchange. Exchange. Yeah. They have a great program. So they've done onboarding. Dan- Danny Cahill is a great program. So have hi, we profess that we want our clients to hire us because we're the experts in what we yes. do, then we should do the same. Practice what you right. preach, hire those experts. So, so that's kind of step one is streamlining your time. So, okay, in my situation, it's a certain amount of time running the overall business from a strategic point of view, doing business development that helps everybody, yes. running my own desk, because that's still important to me. And then when you're onboarding a new employee, come up with the plan that works, use those outside resources, but then, you know, utilize your team, you know, spend some time with this person, spend some time with that person. And it's, it's going to be different for each individual. That makes sense. And like, realistically, what kind of time commitment is this? Like, what sort of hours do you find that you're, you have to put in under normal circumstances to, to make this work? Um, Honestly, it's been two years since my last new employee, okay. so I have to think back a little right. bit. Um, but it's 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 a fair amount of time in the beginning, and then afterwards, I always say, "Geez, I should have spent more time with this person." But you know, you, you need to once you do that basic training through outsourcing, then it's sitting pretty closely with that person for you know about a month. Yeah. You know, and however you can do that, we might do it virtually. In my case, you know, team members have come and spent a few days, you know, sitting by side by side with me or working with another team member. You customize it to where that person's coming from. Yeah. All right. I like that. That's cool. Um, By the way, I noticed that you and I say about almost the same, maybe because you're from Maine (laughs) and I'm from Nova Scotia. Um, Popular misconception is that Canadians say a boot, but it's actually a boat. Yeah. As in like a boat, B-O-A-T. I have been, yeah. I've been accused of being Canadian 
in the past. Well, there's enough Maine upbringing there, and then I I spent time in New York, and then moved to Massachusetts. So somehow it all merged, and there you go. Here we are. You, okay, people have called that out before. That's funny. <laughs> so um, it sounds like you've you've got a really great philosophy on time management, and you know outsourcing the tasks that are not worth whatever your hourly rate is, uh, streamlining things, using experts. And um, the other big challenge, though, with deciding to grow a team is um, it, our industry has a very high staff turnover rate. And it's hard to, ironically, you would think we're excellent at hiring, but our industry is terrible at, you know, hiring the wrong people. They don't stay. So like you hire three and then you lose two or you lose all three or you hire you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So how mm-hmm. have you so true. handled that in your business? So I, it's been very unique for us. I don't mandate that this works for everybody, um, but we've had very, very low turnover. You could argue that maybe I should have hired more aggressively, but I've been a little cautious on that because of the virtual model and so on. So everything has been, like I said, very organic. My first three employees, um, my first admin was a friend from college. My first recruiter was somebody I worked with for years. Um, Then I hired somebody else who was within the industry who I'd known for a while. Over time, what we've kind of found for us, because our niche is super specific, luxury retail is, you know, it's very nuanced. It's, It's hard to come from the outside. You're not going to come from IT and suddenly know what this is. So we've kind of found the industry is the best. So if I look at who I have, um, I have um, my my next top producer was actually a candidate of mine, who I had placed, who funny story, she came back to me when uh, shortly after I'd started. She's like, I want to be a recruiter. I want to come to you. And I wasn't ready yet. She was so um, like a dog on a bone about I'm going to do this. And I had a great experience working with you. I want to work with you. And finally, I relented because I'm like, if you're this, <laughs> you're this diligent, you're this good, you're going to be amazing Absolutely. as a recruiter. That's a good sign. And we had to actually execute a plan because she worked for a client. Uh, so we had to have an honest conversation with that yes. client, kind of work all that through. It's, it's been beautiful. Um, another um, of my team members was a candidate and a client. She had been president of one of our client companies, wanted to do something different. I admired her values. She came in. She's been here three, four years now. Um, and then my newest, which is actually two years ago, is actually the daughter of my most senior employee who graduated from college, wanted to get into recruiting. Um, both her mother and I said, learn it somewhere else. Don't start it here. This is too close to home. See if you like it. She went to temp staffing, picked up some great skills and said, okay, now I'm ready. And she's been with us two years. So that's very unique. That's not going to work for everybody. Well, what's great about that is everybody you hired was already known to you. You know, you already had uh, a, a working relationship. You felt there was values in common. You'd seen them, how they operate already. So right. that's the problem with normal interviews is that it's a bit like a date. People are putting their best foot forward. You don't really know what that person's performance is going to be like, but you've having known people over a period of time, that's, I guess it's not really scalable because you run out of people in your network who are 
that one's tough yeah. to scale. Yeah, you have to you have to up that up. But but I mean, you're so you're so true. And we talk about this at Pinnacle also that we are the worst at hiring people. And I think it's because mm-hmm. as a, if you're a good recruiter, you're also an eternal optimist. <laughs> you're like, well, this person has the raw skill. I can I can fix this. Right, right. You know, we like to fix things. I'm like, I can fix this. I can make it work. And sometimes you just no, can't absolutely. <laughs> what would you say looking back? You've been doing this a long time. Like, what do you feel has been your your greatest achievement or the thing you're most proud about? Um, it, it's really just building, building what I have and, and being really true to my values and, and sticking to that through thick and thin, being very determined and, and building something we're really proud of in terms of where it stands in the market and our reputation and that we are not transactional. We're very relationship focused. We have great long-term clients. Um, you know, that's the biggest source of pride, mm, honestly. Awesome. I mean, you want to you look at what you've built and say, does this uphold my personal values? And I think if you can say that, then you've done some good things. What, what are those values that you live by and the company operates by? Um, super high ethics all the time, every time. Honesty. Um, integrity. You know, we've, that's become a differentiation point with our clients and with our candidates. You know, don't oversell, like have that honest conversation with the candidate. If you see that they're going in the wrong direction, tell them that, you know, give them advice. Even if they're not going to be your candidate, here's some things you could fix in your resume. This may not benefit me, but it's going to benefit you build that relationship. And then, you know, we just dig in really hard with our clients to get to know them and what they stand for and make matches that are very authentic, that are going to, that are going to last with them. And, you know, you just always have to look past the transaction. You have to look past the placement. It's the relationship and is what I'm doing going to strengthen that relationship. That makes total sense. I, I, I remember... Uh, one of my coaching clients, who is a lady who billed over a million pounds a year all by herself, she was a bit like Rich. She was a solo, you know, she was a machine. Uh, so a million, it was, I guess it's like a million and three in, in U.S. dollars or something. And uh, mm-hmm. her philosophy was always think long term, you know, never do something in the short term, which is going to undermine your relationship your, or your credibility or your, your uh, reputation in the long term. Even if in the short term, it means you losing out on something, on an opportunity, on a placement, um, then you have to think long term. I think that reflects what yeah. you're saying. What, what, um, what do you think has been the, the biggest challenge that you've or, or hurdle that you've, you've had in your, in your business since you started your own business? Um, since starting, I, it, it's, of course, weathering the ups and downs and the changes, in the market, we're going through a seismic one now. Yes. So ask me again in six months <laughs> how this all went. I feel like we're doing all the right things, but it's it's um, again holding true to your values, but also staying relevant and and pivoting. Mm-hmm. Um, you think of retail, you think of the brand world. Um, that's changed dramatically, certainly since the '90s, certainly since 2009. Um, you know, we work within different categories of our luxury and specialty brand world. So you have to pivot. I call it portfolio management. You have to have like a certain number of clients within, you know, within ready to wear, within jewelry, within watches, within home, because you want your, your right balance of source companies and client companies. And it's always right. managing those things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and, and again, being really true to yourself, um, 
we look at what we're going through now, and I see a lot of recruiters out there. Let's face it, many are going to go away. Like people that joined the industry in the boom times, they're, they're probably not going to make it through this. And I'm seeing equal number of people like doing 180 degree pivot, like, okay, my niche isn't doing so well, so I'm going to start doing DoorDash drivers and nurses and whatever the hot thing is. But I feel like, again, be true to yourself if you've spent all this time building something. Yes. Don't throw that out, but be more nimble and more agile within that. I agree 100%. I think that it's essential that you are focused on a niche and become an expert in that niche. And, and rather than, you know, try and be all things to all people, um, especially these days, there's, it's such an ultra competitive industry. You know, at least prior to the pandemic, we'd reached almost a saturation point. There were so many recruiting firms. That, the, you know, mm -hmm. apart from differentiation, having your methodology or value proposition, you also really need to specialize. So I, I, I agree 100% with that philosophy. So coming back then to the, the biggest challenge, can you think of a particular experience or situation that you've that was particularly hard? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to go back to when I first okay. started it. Because, I mean, that was just the most challenging time is you have to define yourself and what you stand for. And you've been doing something comfortably at that point for 15 years. Like, here's, here's what I do. These are the positions I do. And, okay, now to make this thing work, I have to stretch. So right. take the best of what I have, but you have to get out of your comfort zone. And then, I mean, I can't speak to any one pivotal event that's been the giant challenge. You have little challenges along the way every day, every year. Um, you know, I think being a good New Englander, a little bit of a creature of habit, <laughs> you know, sometimes you get very comfortable. We always get comfortable and I have to force myself to get out of that comfort zone and say, okay, this is a new technology. This is a new system. I was so comfortable where I was, but I have just to just dive in and do this and embrace it. Right. And, and what did your wife yeah. think at the time of, you know, this decision to, uh, set out on your own? She was so supportive right. of it. Yeah, totally. Now, and, and, and you go through all these things as a family at that time. Um, you know, I'm making a decent income. We know it's going to take a hit. She had a decent job. She had pivoted in what she was doing. So you kind of have to have that sit down with your family and say, this is an investment. This is going to be a little bit hard for a while, but it will pay off in the long right. term. And everyone buys into it. And how, when? So you have to, I mean, you have to have those partners. Yeah, absolutely. You need the support you know, of your, of your family. What, um, when was the point where you thought this is going to work where it's coming together? It was pretty soon after that, cool. honestly, like it started to click. It was ramping up quickly. Um, and, and I'm going to go back to pinnacle society. That was pretty important for me. And that happened around the same time and having that okay. support. And I'm starting to learn from these other people and I'm seeing, okay, they built this. I'm taking steps towards this. Okay. It's going to work. But yeah. you have those celebration moments along, like when you've developed a client and you've done multiple placements with them, and then you stop and you look back and say, not for nothing, I've done the whole executive team for this company. Wow. That's a pretty cool absolutely. thing. So you have to sort of stop and pause and celebrate those things. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, so 2009, you guys started. Um, I don't know if that was the... Worst time or the best time for you to start? I guess it's a it's a bit of both. But as you said earlier, you can. There's only one way to go is is up. Right. Um, I convinced me, myself that it was, was the best time. 
Go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. The optimist, you have to, you have to, if you're starting a business, you have to be optimistic, right? Um, that was the, my worst ever time was 2009. Like I, cause I had been in business since 2001 working for myself. And I was like, took me a few years to build up my client base and everything. And things were starting to go really well. Just when I thought things were going well, then um, like the, the big recession hit and I lost like 50% of my income overnight. I had, uh, you know, the mortgage, two kids, my wife was pregnant and, uh, that was terrifying. So, um, that's when I started sort of figuring out digital marketing and really totally reinventing my business. And so it ended up being a good thing, but at the time it definitely didn't feel like it. Have there been times for you where you've questioned, like, am I doing the right thing here? Should I be doing something else? Not, not in a big way. Cool. I, I'd say micro questions, but not macro yeah. questions. Okay. You know, I mean, going back what, to what, what you what said, I mean, you questions? have to, well, just it, it, you tweak along the way. So, you know, for instance, if I go back to when I started and we were like, we did retail, single store, multi-store, director of store all day long, rinse, repeat. And we were super well-known in the market and, you know, people were coming to us. We still do that. You know, that's still kind of core to what we do, although the percentage of those searches goes down every year. But then, you know, think back 10 years ago, e-com is coming. Okay, you need to learn it. Like you need to stretch and, you know, expand your importance to those companies. You have to, um, you have to constantly be talking to your clients and looking at the market and seeing what, you know, what are they going to need? We do these things well for you, but what are the other things you need? Is it in our wheelhouse? Is this a natural pivot for us? And then dig in and learn those things. Awesome. All right. That makes total and, sense. And now we're all being forced to do that now. Yeah, um, no kidding. As the world, no yeah, kidding. seismic shift right now, but crisis breeds opportunity. Do you know, I, I, I agree that 100%. Sometimes it's hard to really believe it, but, you know, I think, you know, you have to, you have to think that way and have a positive mindset, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time today. It's been really, really interesting getting to know you and learning really learning about some of the keys to your success. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thanks for doing what you do. I've really enjoyed your podcast and the variety of people you have on. It's um, You bring a lot to the community and you know the recruiter community needs more of this now. We need other voices. We need to learn from each other. Um, we will thrive. We're going to be super strong coming out of this, but you just have to put your nose down and make it happen. Well, thank you, Rob. I appreciate that. That means a lot coming from you. So, uh, yeah, uh, have an awesome rest of your day and, and uh, let's keep in touch. Thanks. You as well. Right, Take thank care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.